When it comes to the countries in Southeast Asia, and mainly those countries, for example, Vietnam, the Philippines, and also Thailand, last but not least, the country of Myanmar, have been going this tremendous political and also social changes. Keep in mind, Myanmar is one of the strategic countries in Southeast Asia. However, recently, because of the social and political unrest, drew the tension worldwide. And meanwhile, on February 1st, 2021, Myanmar's military orchestrated a coup, the National League for Democracy's supermajority in the November 8th, 2020 election had scared the military and the unpopular pro-military party was rooted since then. But meanwhile, in this episode, we need to talk about the existing military power and also what about this what we call armed revolution take place in Myanmar today. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite our distinguished speaker, which is Uday. Uday is one of the international journalists, and also he is the writer for the militantwire.com. Well, Uday, and welcome back to The Missing Piece. Thanks a lot, Will. It's good to be back here. Looking forward to this. Well, brother, again, I can tell you how thrilled I am to have this conversation with you. Now, let's get started. Initially, when I discovered you, because you wrote this amazing article, which is called Armed Revolution in Myanmar and Two Years On. Now, for some of our audience and viewers aren't familiar with the current political challenge and also the social um, chaos in Myanmar, can you walk us through what happened exactly in this country and why is it concerning at this moment regarding that what you called armed revolution? Thanks a lot, Will. Um, so let's talk about where the country is at the moment and what's brought it to this point. Uh, Myanmar, historically, uh, it had kingdoms and then it was colonized by the British. It was of the Indo-British Empire at that time. The British Empire, sorry. It became independent in um, around 1948. And it was this kind of budding democracy at that time. Everyone was trying to figure things out. And then the military came into power in 1962 in a military coup. And they pretty much stayed in power till 2011. Um, yeah. And in 2015, were the first, you know, open and fair and free elections in Myanmar. And in 2015, the National League for Democracy won. Mm -hmm. uh, that was led by Aung San Suu Kyi. Now, coming to the 2020 elections, the National League for Democracy does even better than it did in 2015. Mm. And this scares the military, which has always held on to power in Myanmar. It's so entrenched in the country historically. Mm. It's the biggest business conglomerate in Myanmar. You know, it's involved in everything. Um, so this kind of set into events, set into motion a series of events that led to this coup um, on the 1st of February, 2021. So the military had rejected the results of the November 8th, 2020 elections. And they were saying uh, that there was massive rigging and, uh, you know, they kind of like what Donald Trump was saying in the US, like mm. the results were stolen and that kind of thing. So they tried to build that narrative. And then uh, the day parliament was supposed to open with the new lawmakers, that's when the coup happened. And uh, basically the military has always had this kind of, you know, strong relationship in of controlling the country. And 
over the last few years, the country made it clear it was moving away from the military through democracy, from what we've seen in their voting. And that spooked the military. And then they came in and um, that's where we are now. And, you know, why it's concerning, I mean, apart from uh, the massive humanitarian disaster, you know, that this is, um, which alone should, I feel personally, should um, warrant some sort of intervention or some sort of help for the people in Myanmar. Uh, but apart from that, like we're talking about Southeast Asia, and Will, you, you mentioned about how important this region is mm. in a lot of your presentations, right? Especially emerging. If we have insecurity in Myanmar, which is one of the major, you know, geographic and important places of Southeast Asia, mm. that spreads across the whole region. And that's what we've been seeing since the military coup. There's been an increase in uh, massive drug seizures across uh, the region. There's been more insecurity more crime more of that so all of this is spreading and it won't be confined to just myanmar hmm. you know what again i want to go back to the article this is something quite interesting you mentioned that this country became independent in 1948 but meanwhile in the article you refer to another group which is called barma military and this is what you wrote and i quote you say the military has been referred as the Barma military and the Barma are the largest ethnic group dominant in the central Myanmar, while the country has over 135 ethnic groups. Ure, for some of us who aren't familiar with the military influence, number one, who are the Barma military? And number two, how big influence are you talking about in this article? So in other words, how concerning is the influence regarding this Barma military? What do you say to that? Right. Well, so firstly, who they are. Um, so after after independence, um, Myanmar was trying to find its feet. And at that time, so Myanmar is one of the most ethnically diverse places in the region. Like mm. you have, when I say there's over 135 ethnic groups, those are conservative estimates. Mm. There could be a lot more, and these are smaller groups. And because if you look at the borders, uh, you have, you know, Thailand there, um, you have, sorry, China, you have mm. you have a lot of mixing of people. Mm. Uh, you have Lao over there, you know? Uh, so it's always been ethnically very diverse. And after independence, the majority in Myanmar is the bomber ethnic minority uh, group. Mm. And they're mostly, if you look at a map of Myanmar, they're generally in the more central kind of areas, the borderland areas, that's where the ethnic minorities are. Um, so after independence, what happened was, uh, you know, different powers tried to come into play and that's where Aung San Suu Kyi's dad, mm. he was uh, one of the founding fathers, um, right? So they tried to set up a country and, you know, in the post-independence era, this was very new and it was happening across the world, right? So it was that kind of situation. Uh, in that, some of these ethnic groups, they started to see that, you know, even though we are a part of Myanmar, mm. we're not treated as Myanmar, the majority bombers are. Mm. And by the time, so the military took over in a coup, right? And Myanmar was essentially an isolated dictatorship for mm. decades. Um, in that time, when you ask about the influence, the military has basically put itself into nearly every aspect of 
society from mm-hmm. you know controlling education to mm-hmm. controlling the economy completely they have two conglomerates which are the biggest business conglomerates in the country and they're both held by the military um they're they're involved in pretty much everything that goes on and they have this kind of i they have this idea that they are the only ones who know what's best for Myanmar so that's how they've treated the people of Myanmar as their children and they are the guiding parents and you know we know what's best like don't question us that kind of thing so they've kind of built up a cult kind of thing like that and you know there were times you couldn't question the military even now you can see with the revolution and everything you know but you couldn't question the authority of the military it had put itself into you know propaganda as being taught at schools at, for children at very young ages this is for the majority bomber population the minority is being kind of assimilated are there being are the militaries launching operations against them or mm-hmm. fighting and that's when the insurgency really started in Myanmar so people talk about you know the civil war just started in 2021 no the civil war has been there since the 1950s and 60s what has happened is it's it's intensified and spread across the whole country now well but ure again i want to bring ansan sui into our conversation by taking away this leader or by arresting Ansan Sui again she's not just a figure in Myanmar she's a well-known representative among the international community so my following question is by a, a, a arresting her and putting her in jail and call her this illegitimacy what kind of message did that send to the citizens in country so in other words did every single person believe that the election to place was illegitimate so in other words there has to be something done and then which can be uh, done beautifully only by the military that's number 1 number 2 you you mentioned that you can't go against a rebel against the military and also right now at this moment they're not just military group and they are armed militaries you are the expert help us to understand from the second perspective how fatal and devastating are the weapons or are the uh, um, artilleries under the military is that really this life and death situation for average citizens if they were to disagree with the military what, what would you say to that thanks well so uh the first part of the question referring to Aung San Suu Kyi mm. um so basically you're asking you know do enough people support her was there grounds for the mm. military to do what it did uh there's no grounds for the military to do what it did at all if i remember correctly in the 2015 elections her party mm. won about 60% of the votes mm. in the 2020 elections it won 80% so that's also like massive super majority right and Aung San Suu Kyi she was she was jailed by the military in the 1980s and 1990s she was under house arrest and all um she was coming up as you know a young democracy like as a democracy activist and that's how she became famous as a champion for democracy in Myanmar so regardless of you know her misgivings and what the international community criticizes her about the Rohingya and all of that yes she does have her problems but to a lot of people in Myanmar she has been the symbol of you know something other than the military and this is a symbol of democracy and you know mm. 
that. So she she does retain a lot of influence, and you know the military is arresting her, but everyone knows those charges aren't real. Mm. Um, that kind of thing, and people want her released, and she still has a lot of influence and power in that sense. Mm. Yeah. So I hope that answers your question. Sure, you did. And 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 what about the second one regarding yes. the military the who are armed and also yeah. with weapons? And can you help us to dig a little bit deeper on that one? Because we know that right. articles that appeared one after another and regarding their presence, and they're not just the using the words to warn people or to scare people away, but also they have something much more fatal. Demonstrated to the average citizens. So walk us through. What about that process? Okay, so um, before I go into more specifics about their tactics and you know some of the type of industries that they have, um, if, if we look at the history of uh, you know political activism in Myanmar, mm. uh, whenever there has been a kind of anti-government sentiment, which essentially means anti-military, right? Mm. Because the military has been in power. Um, there was there was quite a large uprising in 1988. It was called the 1988 Revolution, mm. uh, and at that time, like people, because of the economic issues and other issues against the military, they kind of, uh, you know, started protesting and their widespread protests and all. And the military used force. The similar scene happened, I think, around 20, 2007. Mm. You know, people protesting against the government again, and the military used force. So. They, they've always had this habit of, you know, crushing any kind of dissent or repression uh, or any kind of voice against them. Mm. Uh, like media, media wasn't open in Myanmar for a very long time, you know. Mm. And now with after the military coup, it's trying to uh, stop information coming out or only put propaganda out. Um, so it's, it's, it's always been a military that has never listened, been able to listen to any sort of criticism and all, mm. um, you know, so when it comes to now going to 2021, the military took over on the 1st of February. At the start, there was no violence, but people started protesting. Those protests got bigger and bigger. Mm. And then it was the military who started, you know, opening fire and cracking down on peaceful protesters. So their knee-jerk re reaction is all this violence and forceful suppression. Mm. Now, if you extrapolate that to, you know, people actively fighting resistance, they're going to try to suppress that even more. Mm. And that's, that's where, you know, some of his tactics, one of them, um, one of the infamous one is called the four cuts tactics, mm. uh, four cuts. So this was, this was developed in, um, around the 1960s when the military would be fighting some of the ethnic groups, mm. which started getting stronger and they managed to get some weapons and, you know, they started to represent their own ethnicities. So that conflict was happening uh, for a long time, mm. right? So the military developed this tactic to basically try to cut an ethnic armed organization from support from the local populace and from, um, you know, to stop it, to allow it to operate. That's what it is on paper. What it actually is, is an attack on the people in an area. Mm. Because what what it means is whenever the military has done these four cuts kind of things, it, it means like hundreds of thousands of people are displaced. It means there's massacres, entire villages are killed mm. or burned. There's, uh, you know, indiscriminate arson, violence. There's a lot of sexual violence also. Um, 
villages and fields are burned, etc. And we really saw a lot of this happen in 26, 2017 with the Rohingya crisis at mm-hmm. that time. When people talked about the brutality of the Myanmar military, this is something that they've been practicing over decades. Mm-hmm. And now the difference is now it's they're extending this to all the population, mm-hmm. not just, you know, the ethnic groups that fought against them before or that kind of thing. So in terms of the tactics, like it, it, the tactic is basically like kill any kind of support for the groups. And if that involves killing the people around, kill them. Mm. And, and now because the Myanmar military is so rich and it has been entrenched in the economy, right? And because a long time it was isolated, it was criticized by a lot of countries in the past uh, for its repression, repressive actions and that. So because of that, it started developing its own like um, domestic arms industry. Mm. And that's a pretty like high tech, well-developed industry because they're building armaments that they know they have used in their own settings, in their own kind of, and they rely on their own supply in that sense. Yes, they do have some foreign weapons. And yes, they do rely on, you know, um, some kind of, some information or like components from other countries and stuff, mm-hmm. but they do have a very developed defense industry. That's why, like, in terms of the resistance right now, the resistance doesn't have any arms as compared to what the military has. And it has, you know, from planes and um, aerial assets to, you know, every small arms and, yeah. Mm. So, brother, you it know, has it, a lot of resources. You know, brother, it's interesting that you kept on emphasizing the word resistance. And of course, we know that what took place in Myanmar send a wide message nationwide or worldwide. Everyone was following what happened in this country. Now, my next question might sound silly, but I still want to ask on behalf of our viewers and audience. Comparatively speaking, if the resistance movement seems so insignificant, why bother even continue to fight against the military coup at this moment. So in other words, again, in this article, you listed a girl and again, she was she was 19, but she was killed, you know, during the uh, uh, resistance movement. Of course, number one, our compassion and uh, again, our prayers uh, went to with the families and also all the victims that would join the resistance movement. But on the other hand, what was the point of doing that? Because we know it's sort of saying you are using the egg to hit the rock and you know you are going to fail and you know you are not going to win the battle but why the younger generations or why the people continue to join the resistance movement and what message did that send from the resistance movement well that's an interesting question okay um as for yes it does seem like this is a david versus goliath kind of thing mm. right with with the military on one side with so many resources and access to all this weaponry and control and money versus a resistance on the other side which doesn't have so many arms it's not as unified it's relying on donations mostly right. right um so why bother i mean i think the people of myanmar answered that you know when uh, after the coup they, they didn't stand down they said no. And for them, like life under the military, that's, I mean, they've spent decades under that. And, you know, for 
people coming up now, they don't, they don't want that. And what the military miscalculated was the extent of how much people would resist their, that's what they didn't ex- expect. And that's why this resistance is significant, is significant in itself, you know, because even though the people might not have the arms that they have, that the military has, they have more of a resolve than the military does. And I think if you look at, you know, some of the insurgencies that we've seen across the world, not to compare Myanmar, uh, the resistance with the Taliban, for mm. example, but an insurgent actor with a resolve will fight off and persevere against a stronger, mm. you know, well-equipped actor that isn't necessarily, you know. So in, in that sense, you know, um, I, I personally don't think it's like the military is not as strong as it makes it out to be. What we're seeing now is that the military is slowly losing. The key thing is it's slow, and the slower it loses, the more people get killed. Mm. Right? Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, the, the people don't want to live under the military anymore. And mm. I think that's it's as simple as that. That's why there's the resistance. Well, because they are despots. They are, yeah. Yeah, well, I agree with you, brother, because again, it's hard to imagine that how people in Myanmar today are actually suffering because of the ruling from the military. Now, I got two more questions before letting you go, and I'll stay with me. Now, Uday, again, as we mentioned in the intro, Myanmar is one of the strategic countries in Southeast Asia. And at this moment, now when I say at this moment, which means in the year of 2023, on one hand, everyone is continue uh, paying attention to the war in Ukraine. And also throughout the war in Ukraine, people uh, around the world begin to understand the role of Vladimir Putin and also, you know, the position of Russian government. But meanwhile, I want to ask, what is happening today in VMR? How does that shape its image, particularly to the countries in Southeast Asia? Because we know that, again, everyone is watching. How much do you think the military took over and also the suffering of the people today and also the resistance movement that really portrays of the distorted society or even for the future impact for the country of Myanmar. Can you comment on that one? So as for what, what the military, the military doesn't care about what anyone thinks of it mm. as long as it can make its money, mm. as long as it holds its control. Like Myanmar historically has been isolated diplomatically and, mm. you know, over the decades and the military has been fighting with that. They were forced to kind of come out of isolation because they couldn't manage the economy anymore and there were other problems but they were forced to it's not that they wanted to they were they were very happy like maintaining full control they don't care about what you know any of the countries say that being said uh within southeast asia for example asean is asean and within asean malaysia and indonesia are trying to push for harsher measures against myanmar but myanmar is more like immediate neighbors such as Thailand that holds a closer relationship with Myanmar as do all of Myanmar's neighbors even that way India for example the Indian government is helping the Myanmar military mm. with some uh, anti-insurgency stuff along the border areas in Bangladesh they don't want to say anything too strong against uh, against the Myanmar government because a million Rohingya are sitting in refugee camps in That's Bangladesh right. mm-hmm. and Bangladesh cannot handle that. You know, it, it's a lot of cost, right? Um, now, Thailand, 
Thailand's interesting because Myanmar and Thailand, the generals used to share a strong relationship. And what I think happened in 2021 is that the generals in Myanmar, they wanted to kind of recreate what happened in 2014 in Thailand. When the military took over in a bloodless coup, they installed a government, uh, a caretaker kind of government for some time. And 2019 held its first open elections. But the military is basically in power now through mm. democracy in Thailand. Mm. So I think what Myanmar was trying to do was that, but it failed to counter, uh, understand the extent of how much the people hate them there. Mm. So these are what the countries around it. Um, meanwhile, there's also, you know, China's, China's a very important player in mm. Myanmar. It has a lot of economic interests in Myanmar and, uh, um, Chinese envoys recently went. Uh, to meet some of the ethnic armed organizations in the country to, you know, try to see if there's a way out of this also. Mm. Um, there, there are a lot of interests in Myanmar and there's a lot of Japan invests a lot in Myanmar, mm. you know. Um, the thing is, like, there's a lot of countries that are condemning the situation in Myanmar and there's some that are more hesitant to condemn it or don't condemn it. But the countries that are condemning it, they're just condemning it. They're not actually offering any more support than that. And that's the difference with Ukraine, you know, with people, countries actually pledging like billions of dollars or millions. Like Myanmar doesn't need that much, you know, but that, that's why, like, yeah, I think I'm sure you've seen this also, how Ukraine has just taken attention from every other thing in the world. Like, this is still happening, you know. That's right, brother. Again, I want to wrap up our conversation by asking you a very simple question. Two years later, we're still watching what's happening in Myanmar today. And I think as an outsider, it's fair to ask the last question is, will Myanmar be ever restored back to peace, harmony? So in other words, brother, what is the future for the country? Because again, right now, whatever is happening within one country, it's not isolated and everyone is paying attention and everyone would like to know how to continue to strengthen this economic and political relationship with the country. So again, brother, very simple. Are we going to see any future hope in this country or are we going to continue to be sorrowful, to be sad about what's happening in this country today? Okay. Um. I do have hope for the future. I don't think the military will be in power forever. There will be a point where they cannot, and there will be a switch. Mm. That being said, the current trajectory we are on, you know, where we're kind of in a war of attrition, where, you know, there needs to be some sort of catalyst to change things. Right now, we don't have that. And the current trajectory, it just means like more and more people are going to suffer mm. as people yeah and you know countries are they want to they want some stability but the fastest way to stability in my opinion is to support the people of myanmar against mm. the militaries and that will you know take out this big problem because otherwise they're going to be fighting like this for years to come mm. and the military will slowly weaken but more myanmarese people will die and in that time insecurity in the region will also increase mm. so well, I, I do have hope. Yeah, of course, brother. It's important that we remain hopeful and positive, not only for the people in Myanmar, but also, again, with uh, a lot more uh, youth. And also they are very active in participating in the resistive movement. And we hope and I pray that the country 
is going to recover from the devastation and also realize that uh, democracy is everything that's far more superior than anything else. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to speak to Uday. Again, Uday is one international investigative journalist, and also he's one of the writers for MilitantWire.com. And again, I strongly encourage everyone go online, look for Uday's article and also all the updates. And he's an amazing, talented writer, of course, along with all his cohorts at MilitantWire.com. So, brother, thank you so much for taking your time to join the show and really appreciate your insights analysis. We love to have you back on the show as we continue to follow the updates, not just in Myanmar, but around the world. So thank you so much for doing this.